So, Reese, tell us a little background how Life Changing Services came to be. Okay, I had been working for LDS Family Services as an intern. I had underlying ambitions for having my own office and doing my own thing and et cetera, et cetera. And so um, I'd been considering it. I had been working underneath people up until that point. My license was in the mail, like my very own license. I was no longer going to be an intern. This was at the end of May in 2005. And so I talked over my dad, the financial side of it. And when I talked about it to my wife, and it was about one week from when I was going to get my license. I says, do you think we could someday have our own office? And she says, uh, yeah. And I says, maybe in a year? She says, how about a week? I got my license on Friday, and on Saturday I saw clients, life-changing services. Just a few. It was a Saturday morning. I still remember it. And I was still working at LDS Family Services. And so the dream of life-changing services um, from the beginning has been a desire to serve the LDS population as kind of a help meet to bishops. Watching what I did know about what bishops went through and seeing how they would like threshold, like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. Oh my gosh, they're listening to someone. Someone's telling them a story of a marital issue or a self-mastery issue. I don't know what I'm doing. And so that was uh, my hope, was that life-changing services would be a pool of resources for specifically the LDS population and to help relieve the sense of responsibility and stewardship that bishops have. And I know the story of what you saw that was alarming to you, that you, it was like an obvious, wow, bishops are really dealing with a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. What was it that alarmed you and made you think, notice, I feel moved to serve bishops? Well, there's the general overwhelm, and there's the specific one. Um, I'd been working pre-mission assessment specialist for LDS Family Services. And um, during that time, you just keep meeting. And I, I've got eight brothers, and so and I worked at the youth prison in Salt Lake with teenage boys for three years by then. And so I did have a, a um, direct attention to that age group. And so when we saw this reoccurring pattern of young men who were delaying or frustrated with their missions, I started trying to brainstorm and strategize exactly how can we serve them, how can we serve them, how can we serve them, what's missing with the way things are being handled. And it, um, I was just into my 30s at the time, and so I'd been studying this stuff for 10 years. It wasn't like it came out of nowhere. I'm very interested in personal self-mastery. I'm, you know, when I, when, I, when I read in the scriptures about um, preaching nothing but repentance, now the word repentance, you know, I was a little brainwashed into making that uh, unpleasant concept when I first learned about it, but... I changed it to the word change with the intent to improve, and then there's a divine process that happens afterwards, which is something to do with sanctification or something like that. But I kept looking at like the what part can I control, what part can I handle? And so studying all the stuff that has to do with becoming aware of my own inaccuracies, becoming aware of what's wrong with me, watching so many people go, that's what's wrong with me, someday I'll fix it kind of thing. And so studying over and over again, what's going on inside of human people's hearts and minds and brains and spirits when they can't change something? when they can't improve something that's important to them. And so that's the, what I'd been studying for many, many years, trying to figure it out. So when the Sons of Healing program was born in August of 05, August or September of 05, it was a one-night thing. I just spent a lot of time in the night writing up. In fact, Lisa found an old copy of the very first handbook. It's like 20 pages. <laughs> I wrote up the core concept and called some bishops and said, do you have any young men who are struggling? 
because you know my my agony for the young man who was crossing off things about his future was just killing me you know I, i i guess i won't go on a mission i guess i won't get married in the temple i guess i won't date girls that are temple worthy i guess i just won't that was just too agonizing for me and so i wanted to find a way to bring the boys together to where they could strategize because when you work with them one on one they always have this yeah but you don't understand or yeah but you're too old yeah you don't get it so i'm all if i could just introduce one to another then we could work on that and eliminating the embarrassment factor by calling it a war realizing that it's a war instead of just calling it a war so on that point realizing that it's a war when you wrote that manual for sense of healing for the mm-hmm. first time um because one of the things that you kind of stand out doing it with life changing services is you're willing to say who the enemy is right out loud and be very blunt about that bold about that even say I like study that guy so that you don't have to because mm-hmm. when you wrote that manual it had a really great overtone of this is a war but saying who the war is against and who he is and what a personal role he has in you know assailing just an individual mm-hmm. that's kind of a game changer for lots of people when it they is. come to life changers well it, it didn't start out that way because it it's um as i did my own self exploration in my early 20s getting more and more familiar with my own thoughts going wait a minute that doesn't even sound like me that didn't what and being willing to believe there's more going it actually started with personal revelation getting familiar with the holy ghost voice you know okay here's me that's not me so there's more than one voice in here okay here's me here's not me okay well that's a cool idea that's a cool thought and then learning how to talk with the holy ghost and going do you have any other ideas on that subject and he's like well yeah here's more or wow and so starting to get familiar with that and then starting to notice another end of the spectrum going okay well here's a idea that'll ruin your life or here's an idea that'll make you feel bad or here's an idea that I'm all what so i'd already gained the idea that i have me and then there's this and i have me and then there's this going wait a minute so i started studying more and more of the scriptures and conference talks going so when is it satan and when is it not me so it started out with just kind of a a one-on-one experience then the strange thing that happens when i started interviewing other people and finding out they're hearing the same phrases they're hearing the same words so sometimes people get freaked out they think i'm reading their mind and i'll just say you just heard this in your head didn't you they're all what <laughs> and all i am doing is going well if i was there it's what satan would say next to me is this and so i'll just say it to you it's a little harder with girls <laughs> and the women cuz i don't quite know exactly what's going on in their head yeah. but the guy go you just heard this in your head how did you know that and now you just heard this in your head how did you know that then as i kept reading the scriptures and kept observing concepts like the war in heaven the wars in the book of mormon and then the harder i worked to get my own self mastery and then having to access intensity levels that were similar to what i had to do during wrestling okay i have to really get intense to win this mental war it's not just a would you mind if i kind of just behave appropriately this time it's like a war like a battle so it started out with just a wrestling match so the enus thing wrestle with god okay i can do that But then when I started realizing it's not just me. I'm having to do my wrestle, they're having to do their wrestle, they're having to do their wrestle, and then it just started to expand. And, wow, this is lots of people against this. And then all the validations because that shock, that surprise that the concepts we find in the war chapters of the Book of Mormon 
once I started to get the hint that this was a true concept, you, you can find every story in the Book of Mormon War chapters has a psychological dynamic to it. And you can pair it up to an actual psychological experience. So then I went to the University of Utah and I was hoping for a pretty broad education, but they weren't comfortable discussing the spiritual side of psychology. And I kept going, well, you can't take out biological elements, you can't take out genetic elements, you can't take out environmental elements, you can't take out all these things, then what makes you think you can take out the spiritual elements? Because they're having an effect too. And so, and this was over the course of 12 years of trying to figure this all out. Yeah, and while we're on that topic, just the idea when people come to a group, a recovery group, or, or in your office having counseling, um, or you're working with a married couple, just the idea of, I am not the enemy. That person that I struggle about or with, even though I'm supposed to love them and fight for them, mm-hmm. they're not the enemy. Right. My spouse um, is not the enemy. Yeah. My spouse is not the enemy. But What does that do? Yeah. How, what does that do? How game-changing? What have you noticed that you being bold enough to talk like that has done for people in their winning the war? So the first thing it does to their brain, and I just, I've had like a few new sessions recently, and one teenager, one adult, and I use a term now called psychological civil war. Psychological civil war is when two sides of your brain are against each other, okay? And I think about, I was a student of the civil war, um, Abraham Lincoln and the whole black civil rights kind of stuff. And when you think about what happened to the resources of the north and what happened to the resources of the south while they were fighting each other, they both depleted Both sides ran out of energy. Both sides had dead men. Both sides used up all sorts of resources. Now, if you take that and you look at it as if there's an outside enemy who might be promoting the war on both sides, okay? Encouraging, oh, they're a threat to you. No, no, they're a threat to you. No, they're a threat to you, okay? So what happens before someone understands this concept is they have, what am I doing to myself? What am I, how am I self-attacking? How am I self ruining what's wrong with me so they run around inside their own country looking for what's the problem when the enemy is actually coming from the outside now what happens to a country when they discover the enemies on the outside when you look at things like what happened with the twin towers event okay the the enemy thought that it would cause us to fall apart and collapse and become depressed but the american country is just a bunch of human brains next to each other and what did america do when we found out the enemy was on the outside we unite, unified and we fought and we gathered our energy and we fought it. This is what happens to the clients that understand this concept. Once they understand it, there's no longer a war with myself. Now I bring all of my resources together and now it's me against it. And now they don't have that depleted sensation that keeps wearing them out all the time, wearing them out. And now when they get banged up or beat up and they go, okay, this is coming from the outside, then they can respond like any American athlete would. Okay, so you beat me up a little bit. So you won the last game by one point. You won the last game by five points. What do Americans do? Or rather, all throughout the world. When they lose by one point and they know who the opponent is, they spend the rest of the week ramping up for the next one. You want to, okay, let's do this. I got this. Instead of what's wrong with me, what's wrong with me, what's wrong with me, and then they fall apart. So it just fills them with energy, fills them with power, and then they can fight the true enemy. And there's so many scriptures that say that Satan is trying to convince us that he's not involved. So many conference talks. I'm not here. I'm not involved. I'm not messing with your head. And what does that knowledge do to a marriage when you know? 
When I can convince a marriage, it takes a little bit of time to do it because the, the serpent is the most subtle of all the beasts of the field, and so he just kind of weasels around. But as soon as a couple can figure this out, as soon as they start ramping up negative energy towards their spouse, which can create a marital civil war, if I can get them, train them to go wait, and I say, now just turn a quarter turn and say, are you here? Are you Satan, are you involved in this? Are you throwing wood on the fire? Are you pouring gas on it? And with his normal answer, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're doing. Okay, let's get back to who I'm trying to point out here. And this neat couple I saw yesterday, as I was training them with this, the husband started to catch on. And he's all, okay, wait a minute. The dark side is trying to create this environment where I'm just continually rating some kind of negative message to my wife. Okay, even when I'm not talking, just, you're the problem, you're making things worse. But as he started to visualize this, and he has a strong masculine testosterone-based personality, he's all, I says, do you have any idea what Satan's saying to her during this whole time while you're in this negative mode? She's experiencing torment. You are the worst wife on the planet. It's the dumbest thing ever for you to have married this guy. You should just flush yourself down a toilet, etc., etc. Okay? And so as I was describing Satan's attack on her, his warrior chemistry, no one talks to my wife like that. No one messes with my wife like that. And so it created this positive energy, and you could feel her as he, he didn't even say it. He just, you felt his body language shift. She softened. She, you could almost see her tuck her shoulder trying to get under his arm. Like, I want to be right here. I want to be in your presence. You feel warm and you feel safe. You feel so good. He's over, he's over here, like, addressing the enemy, but the woman feels like that's really nice. So when, they, when the man's intense energy is pointed towards the enemy instead of towards his wife, she feels safer. And then when a woman has that experience and she's remembering that he's not the enemy, she automatically becomes more nurturing, you know, more smiles, more snuggles, more stuff like that, which makes him be more likely. So it's a really cool dynamic how warm the relationship gets when you identify the enemy correctly. Yeah, it's like you both say, now we stand on the same side fighting what needs to be fought. Mm-hmm. And no one should mess with us. Right. And the same dynamic is holds true for parents and kids. Parents and teenagers, youth, um, siblings, church leadership. We try really hard to use it here at Life Changing Services with each other. Yeah. We have lots of strong personalities here and we could clash. And so we try really hard to remember there's someone trying to mess with us. Once Sense of Healing started and that got underway, how long did it take till more things started coming on board? You know, from an outsider's perspective, it looks like it happened really fast. Okay. <laughs> I was there. It was not fast. Okay. It was really hard for six months just to keep one group of six boys full. Like, we would get one referral per month. Okay. And I was doing firesides and stuff like trying to get people to know about us. And there's a lot of skepticism, etc. And then six months later, I did a stake level meeting and we got more referrals to start the second group. Six months later, started the third. Six months later, started the fourth. So it took about two and a half years before we, I needed another therapist before I was maxed out. Then I had to start figuring out, can this be done by other therapists? So that took some time, and, but it got rolling, and we found a way to systematize that. Then the next problem was there's more people involved, and because I'm a guy, because I'm a man, I didn't realize that mothers would be a relevant issue. Okay, I was a little naive about that, going, okay, I didn't, what do moms have to do with anything anyway? <laughs> That was where I was at at the time. I didn't, I didn't take them seriously because I didn't know to take them seriously, and I'm embarrassed because of it. And so You're oblivious to the power of a mother. And the relevance, sadly. 
I was stuck with a lot of the other masculine psychology. This is a teenage boy issue. The mom has nothing to do with it. Okay, so I had lots of errors in that. But it was starting to become relevant. Okay, it was starting to become more of a, okay, the moms are interested. The moms are always showing up to everything. The moms are the ones that are bringing the boys. The moms are doing them all. Okay, and then the moms are scared. The moms are worried. The moms are uninformed. And the ridiculous lack of insight. Moms have never been teenage boys. They don't get it. Okay? And then when I looked at my plate and I saw how much work I got, I'm I'm, I, I can't do enough for the moms unless I get some help. Then there's this really cool lady, Karen Broadhead. <laughs> and she just offered, can I help, can I help, can I help? And she told a story lately about what she can't do. Okay? But what she can do is talk, share, and connect. And listen and learn and help people feel understood. And so she did her own learning and experimenting by just one mom at a time. What do you need? What are you going through? What do you need? What are you going through? And so by doing those one-on-one interviews, Karen was able to gather all this generalized data, like all the moms are afraid of this, all the moms are worried about that. And we were able to formulate several different services, primarily the Mothers Who Know and the weekly meeting with that, where the moms have access to lots of resources to give them information, help them understand, know what their role is, know when to be at peace, know when to be concerned, so it's been a great relief, and I'm grateful because I didn't have to do it. I'm grateful because I got to. So, so glad, perfect. so glad. So along with the mothers, talk just a little bit about the fathers. That's been an interesting experience. And I talk this over with my wife from time to time, and, and she tries to you know give the men validity for they're trying to find food, they're trying to do this, they're trying to do that, et cetera, et cetera. And so staying conscientious about the specifics of what their sons are going through, you have a wide range of how involved the fathers are able to be, how involved they can be. You have a wide spectrum, the ones who are just right there involved on the ball, etc., all the way to the a middle spectrum of just uninformed and apathetic, all the way to like, I've got my own issues. I've got my own problems. I can't help my son because I've got to dig myself out of a hole. And so just recently with Karen's help, we've been able to create a similar thing to Mother's Snow for Fathers Who Fight, where the fathers have an arena where they can come together, led by one of our well-trained fathers, on the role they can play and how they can best suit their, their sons and help them. While the central focus was to serve the young men, and then since then we'll talk about this a little bit more later, the young women, to be able to provide support and education and you know an awareness of what role to play, we've been able to provide services for the mothers and for the fathers so that they can feel intelligent and encouraged in the role they play to help their youth go through this stuff. And what came next? The worker? Yeah, actually, and but that was like a parallel pathway. So while I'm working with the teenage boys, I, I've kind of learned to watch out for things that I need to help with. <laughs> this is, I'm a little over my head here. So we talked about the mothers. Well, part of what I was starting to experience was a whole new world that I didn't know about, which was women who've been traumatized by the sexual misbehavior of their husbands. And so... Granted, and I am embarrassed to say that I was part of the normal Utah Mormon population that didn't even know that was going on. I didn't even realize that was happening so much. It's like, you know, guys have oopses and wives go, okay, stop doing that, and then it's over. Okay? But as a therapist, you get to see that it's not usually that simple. Okay? And then you get to hear lots of stories that are a little more catastrophic than that. And so as I started interviewing women and getting a better feel for what they're going through and getting more skills at working with them, the same thing started to happen where I need them to meet each other. 
I need them to hear each other's stories. In the same way that there's some unrelatability between me and a teenage boy, there's some unrelatability between me and a woman, me and a traumatized woman, me and a woman who's experienced sexual betrayal trauma. And so we saw lots of catastrophes where women have just support groups where they get together and they just share. That becomes a very catastrophic, collapsing experience. I'd gained some confidence in the principles that I learned on how to help a woman survive, recover, stabilize, and have the option of having her marriage be fixed or to have to release the marriage because the husband's just getting worse or et cetera, et cetera. So getting her to a place where she can take either pathway in a healthy way. But I needed to have some more elements of camaraderie and sisterhood and a comparison of stories. What can we learn from each other? And so as I usually do, I start with a theme and then I try to find a way to make it useful. Women of Rebirth, Therapeutic Healing is the anacronym for the worth group. And so the idea is to be reborn, to come out of the, like a phoenix, out of being burned, difficult moment, and then they rise up out of it. And so adding the therapeutic healing side of it, that's what the worth group became. I was running it on my own with just one group per week with a handful of very painful cases. And then Jennifer Johnson came as a student and she just wanted to learn about therapy and other things like that. And I invited her to sit in and participate and and she was motivated and naive and young, but willing to learn. And so she learned by observation for the first several months and then became more and more invested in it and studied and studied and studied and studied. And as my responsibilities became bigger and bigger over the course of the next four years, and with some neat insights on her part, she has now become the director of the Worth Group and leads multiple therapists who provide these services to women. It's been really refreshing and dynamic to watch lots and lots and lots of women who I haven't even met be served by the core principles that we call our worth principles. Okay, We have a book in process, but it's not quite done yet to describe all those principles. But now these women are recovering, rejuvenating, using spiritual concepts, using scientific concepts to help their brains heal and then be ready for whatever comes ready for a marriage to recover, ready for a marriage to die. Whatever the wisest thing to do is next, which is not my place to decide. How valuable to have it in a setting where it's not just me sharing with other women, women with maybe someone who's been on the journey longer than me to support, but I have a therapeutic element. That's what sets the worth group apart. Yeah, you have support groups that don't have a therapist present, but a carefully trained therapist can monitor whether or not the stories that are being told are edifying and useful and we can go somewhere with them, okay? And can monitor when it starts to become toxic or spirally or just anger. You know, we want emotions to be shared, but we don't want it to become an unproductive and catastrophic environment. We have rules like um, there's no man bashing. You can share your feelings about your pain in an experience with a man, but we don't start hammering on the guy in the meetings whether it's an ecclesiastical leader, whether it's a spouse, whether it's somebody else. You know, we want the women to be able to express themselves and talk about it in an environment where no one's going to judge them or something like that. So one of the rules is we have to turn everything into something productive. We have to turn everything into something productive. So now what are we going to do with that information? I'm being treated unfairly. I'm being treated in an almost abusive manner. I'm being treated all these different ways. Okay, all right, now what are we going to do about it? So Jennifer's really good about turning the conversation. She's training the other clinicians to do it the same way. Tell us about that being free and how it's free and going to men and Okay, so it used to cost money. 
I mean, it used to cost money to go to the Worth Group and, you know, trying to be financially sound as a company. We need to have people pay for services in order for it to, to work. But through a course of several events, we found a way to make that service free. And one of the main reasons we do that is the women didn't, like, walk themselves into a trauma. Like, you know, if someone's crossing the street and a truck runs them over, they weren't, like, asking for it. They're like, hey, <laughs> I would sure like a truck to run me over. When there's betrayal trauma involved, it's, the, it's a spouse's behavior that comes out of nowhere. Now, sometimes you say, well, she had something. With, I don't agree with the concept that all problems in marriage come from both sides. I do not agree with that. There are plenty of cases where one person's minding their own business, trying to be a decent person, and the other person's misbehavior does run the other person over. So as we're agonizing about women who are prioritizing their finances to everything but themselves, so they're not being served and they're not being met, and it's not their fault to be there anyway, how can we get them services for free? We didn't have an answer to that for the longest time. Simultaneously, what started happening years before was an adult man came to me and said, I so appreciate what you've done for my son. I don't like telling a lot of people this, but I have the same problem. I've been to this program, this program, this program, and while they've been edifying and useful, they're not quite what I've seen what you're doing with my son. Is there any way we can transfer this information from your Sons of Helaman training to be of use to the adults? And as normal, my first response with any suggestion is overwhelm. Like, oh, I don't <laughs> Sure, but I have no idea how we're going to do it. And I says, um, maybe if you could help. So this gentleman followed me around for like six months and studied all the methods, the behind-the-scenes stuff, etc., etc., pull it together and created what's called Men of Moroni. And he led that organization for a while. And then the baton has been passed about four times now from one leader to another leader to another leader. And so as we found those resources, we started to realize that, you know what? It wouldn't take much. And these men are wanting to give back. As the men recover and they get stronger, they're going, how can I you know, do my restitution? How can I do something for those who've been hurt? And I can only do so much for my spouse can I donate? Can I give a little bit to help all the women in the circumstance? And so we raised the price one year with the sole intent of using that money to pay for Worth Group services. And so that's when we were able to make the Worth Group free. And this actually was Jennifer Johnson's idea, not mine. I'm cool, let's do that. And so the men of Moroni now, it pay, the money that they invest uh, goes a little bit to overhead, but almost... At least three quarters of it goes to making sure we have therapeutic services for the women. And so in the meantime, the men are getting really neat training. And we got man after man after man after man, and the leaders of that are really no holds barred. They're like, we expect men to gain self-mastery. We expect them to get it right. And so currently, Luke and Alana Gordon, uh, we've added a wife to it, which adds some really cool dynamic in the leadership. We've always just been a, a man. But this time we added a, a husband-wife team. And for over a year, maybe close to two years now, they've done a great job of leading it. We now serve over a dozen groups a week, providing services all over the country. So it's really neat to watch what they do. Yeah, so. just in my podcast interviews, it's been interesting for the men in Moroni that I've interviewed that they've said, you know what, I've had this issue for years, decades, and I've been to lots of wonderful, resourceful answers. But it was the, the life-changing services has taught me the tools I need to forsake the sin. 
So to describe what, what you might be leading up to referring to, there's two other types of organizations that are, have been available to the men for a long time. The ARP 12 Steps program has a certain element that it adds. One of them is support. Okay, lots of encouragement, lots of love. And it also really mixes in the relationship with God or relationship with Jesus, relationship with the atonement. And so one of their main goals is to create a, a healing environment. They're like an incubator or a greenhouse, and they do a good job with that. But the, the assumption there is that to recover, you just need to heal. Okay? There's no discussion over the war. Now, if men are at war, there is an element of being in fighting situation, getting banged up a whole bunch, and needing to heal. That is correct. In order to win the war long term, you have to heal and you have to learn how to fight. And so we don't suggest taking the 12-step and the atonement and the spiritual side of it out, but we focus on the training side of it because we're not a religion. We're not, we're not the ones who are going to grant you healing. That's a spiritual experience. That's a divine experience. We're scientists and trainers. Another group is what they call psychoeducational. Psychoeducational is when if you just teach somebody what's going on in their brain, then they'll gain control over it. Now, that's kind of like training someone how a gun operates. This is a gun. Here's how it operates. It doesn't teach you how to be good with the use of the gun. It just teaches you how it works. So, in order for a man to gain self-mastery, he has to be able to get his brain and body to do things or to go a different direction. And in the same way in a military situation or sports or music, you have to know exactly what you want to do and then you have to practice it. And then you have to practice it and you have to practice it and then you have to practice it. And then, especially in military and athletic and, I guess, music situations, you have to practice to be able to do it under pressure. You have to be able to do it in a basketball game when everyone's yelling at you and screaming at you and calling you names. You have to be able to do it in war when someone's trying to kill you. Okay, you have to do it on stage as a piano player when everyone's looking at you. <laughs> and you might not be on the verge of throwing up. Okay, so if the brain doesn't practice and add how to respond in a high-pressure situation, which is exactly what a temptation moment is, there's all these emotional, chemical pressure elements to it, and if you don't have a well-trained response, then you're just going to mess up. You're just going to fall off the deep end. And so Men in Moroni specializes in the training experience. And so we do lots of drills and repeats and repeats and repeats and lots of pressure. We call some things sparring and stuff like that. So if you've been to a 12 steps program where it's warm and nurturing like a greenhouse, like a little hospital room, we look more like a boot camp. So you're going to see that doesn't seem like the same thing. It is not. And we're not even trying to make it the same thing. Okay? And then a psychoeducational class feels like a college class. Okay? You're sitting there. You're taking lots of notes. You're learning lots of things. You're seeing slides. Okay? And they're saying, now go home and apply this. Okay? Now go home into your own shooting range and figure it out and then come back and bring your target with you and we'll teach you some more about what you're doing wrong. Okay? We actually sit with you at the target range and do lots of practice. All right, so... What came next? Yeah, what came next? Those four, so we have Sons of Helaman, we have the Worth Group, we have Men of Moroni, I guess those three were our basic, or Mothers Who Know, were our four basic programs for quite some time. The next need that we started to see was that there wasn't enough time in a group environment to really help with the basics. I remember when I was an athlete in school, you'd have football practice or sports practice. But then if you're a serious athlete, you had a personal trainer that would really do basics with you, like micro drills 
conditioning, weightlifting, just the basics. And they would just grind you through it. And it was just the same thing over and over again on a very micro level. And the stuff that made you stronger, the stuff that made you faster to respond, the stuff that built your endurance. So speed, strength, and accuracy. Speed, strength, and accuracy. And and then you have the head coach that does more of a global training. And so on the heels of that, personal warrior trainers and individual eternal warrior trainings were created. A little sooner than that, a couple of years before that, there was a big request for what do you have for those who don't have an addiction, they just want to work on self-mastery. So we created an entire arena for our Eternal Warriors program. Eternal Warriors is just those who want to use the same principles, but they have a a behavioral dynamic that is not addiction-based. Like, I just want to go exercising on a regular basis. I want to journal on a regular basis. I want to do family history on a regular basis. I want to stop yelling at my kids on a regular basis. Just more of an unwanted pattern of behavior as opposed to an addiction. And, or as opposed to something more extreme like drug, alcohol, sexual addiction type of stuff. And so we had this surprisingly big response to the Eternal Warrior system. Classes have been created. It's been fine-tuned over years. Now Tina and Ruben Aiton lead the Eternal Warriors department, and they are doing a great job of providing amazing services. So we have Eternal Warriors classes, which, by the way, that's been customized on all different ages, including a family manual where it's been built like a family home meeting manual and all... The, pictures and cartoons and lots of things like that for the little kids to learn from. And I didn't realize that kids age four could learn these principles. But when you got a mom teacher or a dad who works well with kids, but someone who knows how to work with little people, then those principles can be taught with the right diagrams, etc., etc. And so across the board, we have people of all ages, men, women, who are using these concepts for personal self-mastery, which is a glorious synergy of spiritual and scientific principles. It just blows my mind how many people have found ways to use it. So eternal warriors and personal warrior training have become um, major elements. I love the Book of Mormon stories, especially the war ones uh, or the war chapters, but it doesn't seem to matter how righteous the Nephites are. Whether they're purely righteous or they're evil, the Lamanites just, or whoever the enemy is at the time, just insists on attacking. And so there's no such thing as doing life without war. There's no such thing as going, it would be so nice, Now, I've had lots of little role plays in my head, like, let's send a note to the Lamanites and say, how about we don't? Okay, how about we don't? In fact, here's a loaf of bread, and here's some honey, and you know what? I'll give you a loaf of bread, and you don't attack me. That's a great idea. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, the true personality of Lamanites or demons is, thank you for the loaf of bread, and we will attack you. (laughs) Okay, that is lovely. Now we have a loaf of bread, a bottle of honey, and we get to attack you. And so, for some reason, they just love it. It's just fun to try to ruin our lives. But if you really take it all the way back to before Adam and Eve, all the way back to the war in heaven, this is not really a surprise. When we understand our doctrine and the history of religious principles brought to us through prophets, the science of it all makes more sense. Why is it a constant struggle? Why do I have to keep working out? Why do I have to keep getting ready? Why do I have to be trained to do well in this life? I'm convinced more and more that this life is not just a test, it's a training ground. Okay, there's a lot of really important things to experience in life hereafter. And you have to be trained for it. And an arena that provides us with regular resistance. Okay, you don't, sometimes we can feel like we're not getting anywhere, we're not getting anything done. You know, when I think about going into a weight room, working out really hard for an extended period of time, 
If you take a picture of the weight room when you get there, and then you take a picture of the weight room when you leave, it looks exactly the same. It looks like you can spend a whole lifetime working and nothing changes, nothing's different. And we're under the impression with a little help from American culture that your job is to make things different. While that's a good idea and that's nice, when God says, well, what difference did you make? I've never heard that that's like his number one question. His number one question says, well, what did you gain from the experience? How are you now? And do a little psychological and spiritual muscle testing. Are you stronger? Are you faster? Are you wiser? Did you have an excellent education? Did you find me in the process? Because you can't win without him. Okay, You can go to war, and I guess we should include that spiritual thing. The sons of Helaman did not go to war without God. Okay, You teach too much about training, etc. We teach them, you have to take God with you or you will die. You don't stand on the edge of the Vietnam forest and say, I'm going to show a sign of bravery by going into the forest by myself. Okay, All you're going to do is be dead. To align yourself, and I love this blend with the 12 steps program, the first three steps. Step one, my translation of step one is, I admit that the war is bigger than I thought it was going to be, and I'm probably not going to win if I fight it by myself. Okay, that's my interpretation of step one. Step two is come to believe or come to become aware of or notice there is a team or a power greater than yourself that if you aligned yourself with them, you could win the war. You take David versus Goliath, you take Moses versus Pharaoh. If you align yourself with them, you can win the war. And step three is the actual aligning yourself with that power. Calling up God and saying, can we be on the same team? Can we work together? He says, well, I need you to do a few things. Can you imagine a soldier going to the general and saying, well, I want you to be on my team. I want to be part of your war, but um, I don't want to do it your way. Not a very useful way to respond. So if we're going to win the war, we're going to have to become in sync with the leader, with the general, and with fellow warriors. And we're going to have to learn how to work side by side and feed off each other's energy. I myself am an independent thinking type of person, but I've realized if I don't synchronize with fellow warriors, whether they're men or whether they're women, and with God, okay, then I'm going to run out of gas. I'm going to run out of wisdom. I'm going to run out of energy. I'm going to run out of what it takes. And anyone who works with me here at Life Changing Services, it becomes very clear Maurice by himself doesn't have what it takes. He knows that and he acts accordingly. But when he connects himself with God and aligns himself with good people, then the miracles start to happen. So the reason all the programs at Life Changing Services continue to gain momentum and the people in the community gain confidence in it is we're not just a scientific-based organization. We believe in aligning ourselves with this power and using accurate scientific principles combined with spiritual power to produce results for us as individuals and in every person and program that we touch. Do you want to say things about Daughters of Light? Mindy Lundgren, many years ago, was being more attentive to the needs of the young women than I was. I feel like my calling is about the young men. And she came and she says, can we bring something together for the young women? Again, in the same way with some of the other programs, I've had to say, I think that's important, but I don't have the energy and time to make that happen. So we started synchronizing our efforts. And Mindy Lundgren has been working very hard for some time to receive revelation, to receive clarity, to pull things together, to add resources. We've used the resources of life-changing services and our relationships with the community. And we've been able to develop this Daughters of Light, which is the female version of Sons of Helaman and Eternal Warriors and Men and Moroni combined. It's like any self-mastery issue that a young woman or adult woman would want to work on 
on a therapeutic level, okay, not just a support system. She has trained other therapists to help as well. The young women, the adult women, they pick the topic, they pick the category, they assign a group to it, and they work on it. Whether it's sexual self-mastery with um, uh, pornography, um, masturbation, or uh, sexual activity outside of marriage, whatever's against the woman's value system, they train them to acquire self-mastery there, which is a little bit different than it is for young men to learn that. And then other issues that are more self-esteem-based, that are more behavioral-based with other issues, and so Daughters of Light has become a very powerful resource to the people. Okay, so if you were to just tell someone, this is why I feel honored to be part of life-changing services, what would it sound like? As the beginner, the leader of it, life-changing services has become a, a family, it's become a, a team, it's become an energy-producing environment. It's When you spend time with either the secretary or another clinician or staff members or whether it's someone who's just helping on this piece over here or someone who's got a major responsibility, life-changing services has become this environment where there's a synchronicity, there's an uplifting, there's a there's an element of, of desire and love for the people. We all think about the pain of what's going on, not only in the community in general, but for this household specifically and for this household specifically. And so what I love about working with Life Changing Services people is they have an unstoppable dedication to figure out what these people need and how can we bring them the resources for the least amount of money possible. Okay, can we charge them less? Can we charge them less? Can we charge them less and still serve them correctly? And so I love that we love the people. I love that we love and work with each other. I love that we try to get it right really hard. And I love that we connect with God and we get the revelation that comes with it and that we're willing to fight for it. We're willing to fight for ourselves, our families, and everybody that we work with. That was beautiful.